0: Hi, this is Mary H.K. Choi and you're listening to Hey, Cool Job. I'm here with Matt Barone, writer, editor, and currently the senior programmer for Brooklyn Horror Fest, which is now going into its second year in Brooklyn, Avi, in October 12th through 15th in various theaters. Basically, this is sort of kind of our Halloween episode. I'm
1: in love with my life.
0: Hi, Matt Barone. What's going on, Mary? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming by. And what I can imagine schedule-wise is kind of a bonkers week for you? Uh,
1: Yeah, it's it, maybe not as bonkers as you think because we're sort of everything's kind of like set in stone right, now. you're
0: either fucked right. or you're prepared. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, So now it's a matter of just sort of making sure all the filmmakers that are going to attend to have all the stuff they need to get here with, you know, making sure all the films themselves show up, going through like tech checks at the venues. And it's all very much like... Like you said, like if, if we're if we're scrambling now, we're kind of screwed and we're not scrambling. So we're in a good place. That's I think. good. Yeah. A moment
0: of Zen. Um, so <laughs> how like walk me through the entire process because I have no idea. How do you decide what's showing at Brooklyn Horror Film Festival? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, with programming a festival, I, I feel like it's sort of a perfect storm of various stuff for, for everybody. has got a different process for us. Since we're a new festival and we're a little bit younger, we don't get like, you know, it's like Sundance will get like a couple thousand submissions or something. We get a very small amount compared to that. So it's, it's a matter of watching... For us, it's like 300 something submissions. That's still a
0: lot. It is, yeah. I mean, a lot of
1: that is short films too, so it's not like 300 features. You know, there's a variety of of like lengths and stuff.
0: Yeah, but it's not like you can just like roll through all the TRTs. You need like a a break and then a kind of like, I don't know, like a reset and then you have to watch the next one, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, a lot of what I do now is sitting at home with my laptop watching Vimeo links sort of like on a loop, you know? Right. Um, Which makes it, in a way, it sounds like it could be sort of tedious, but I think it helps. You sort of know the good ones when you see them because you've seen so much that the ones that really jump out and stick with you are clearly the ones that you want to show. So, so to answer your question again, it's sort of it's a combination of looking at you know hundreds of submissions. Uh, going to other film festivals, like I, I go to South By, I, I, I kind of work with Tribeca too, so I see a lot of stuff with them. Uh, and sort of scouting stuff at other festivals, meeting with filmmakers, kind of seeing who's working on what, so you can kind of track that stuff throughout the year. Uh, being sort of an obsessive nerd, like I've always been and going on every film site in the world and sort of seeing, you know, Variety announces so-and-so who made a movie I liked five years ago, just signed on to make a movie that's going to, so you kind of, I make mental notes of that, and I kind of track stuff like that. Is your
0: like iCal slash GCal fucking mental?
1: Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of that. It's a lot of like e- saved email drafts, just like millions of saved email drafts of like, you know, certain filmmakers I like or sort of styles of movies. or. So when
0: I, you know, so when, when I ask the question, like, when does the process start? It's not this like finite space and time. It's like it's just ongoing. It's
1: ongoing. Yeah. I mean, we, we have like a set date in terms of like when we need to have stuff locked in for the for that year's program. But, you know, I think when you work in the space and sort of it comes from loving movies, right? So I'm always watching stuff anyway and I'm always paying attention to the stuff as a fan. So it's really three, you know, 365 a day a year job where you're just constantly keeping track of what's going on and sort of staying on top of everything because, you know, you want to you want to you want to you want to. Sort of be first to find certain films. If not first, you want to find find stuff that like other people aren't looking at. So to do that, you kind of always have to have your radar on. You know, you can't really sort of take a, a day off in a way. You know, which wow. is fine with me when you're when you're a nerd like me. It's sort of is like a natural thing.
0: I feel like your entire life is like the movie Pie, though, not the life of Pie, but like
1: just <laughs> like the Aronofsky, pie. Pie? Yeah, Aronofsky, yeah, Aronofsky yeah, fucking
0: yeah. Pie. Um, so <laughs> how many units of you know you're talking about sh- features and shorts? How many units of terror are you actually showing for this? Festival.
1: Like how many? Like films and stuff yeah. we're doing? We're doing uh this year it's bigger than last year. This year we have twenty features. We have twenty seven short films. We're doing uh on we have the sort of the fortunate luck of uh, one of our days is Friday the 13th so the timing worked out. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So we're doing a a sort of a mini Friday the 13th marathon at this venue Videology in Brooklyn. We're doing the first four. It kind of makes sense because the fourth one is the final chapter which is obviously bullshit because it wasn't the final chapter but it was sold as Jason gets killed and blah, blah, blah. So you kind of, we're going one through four of that kind of mini first arc of like the first arc of Jason so it's a, Four, four of them in a row at videology on Friday the thirteenth. Oh, right on
0: and that's in Williamsburg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and talk. then
1: um a couple others uh, another older film we're showing that we're doing that we're coinciding with this book called Lost Girls. It's um it's all about this French filmmaker, uh, Jean Roland, who was this friend he made like erotic vampire horror movies in the seventies and there's this really cool book called Lost Girls that's written by all female film writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just essays about his films and stuff so we're sort of con- in conjunction with that book launch we're showing a film his called Shiver of the Vampires which is from the 70s and the editor of the book is going to intro it and we're going to have oh, the, that's books, cool. the books on sale like at, at the venue at this place called Film Noir Cinema in Brooklyn. It's a new venue. Uh, yeah and then we're doing this thing with uh, uh, you know Eric Thurm. He has this thing, Drunk Education, he does. Yeah. We're, uh, we're teaming up with him and we're doing one about Final Girls so we have some really cool uh, like panelists for that like Kristen Kim uh, Hazel Sills Ozzy Romano and uh, T.O. bugby they're going to sort of pick their favorite final girl and sort of give a drunk Ted-like talk about why Sidney Prescott is the best final girl, you know, as opposed to like, you know, uh, Ellen Ripley or whatever. Yeah, totally.
0: So how many, like, can you even like peg ballpark how many films you had to watch to whittle it down to this like
1: selection for this year yeah uh i can ballpark if we had 300 submissions it's more than that because when you're sort of a a younger festival like us it's a lot of times we like solicit films we reach out to stuff that we want to check out and we get links for so i'd say it's i mean like the close to the 400 range give or take so uh, maybe a little more than that
0: and, and you do the entire film festival circuit. Um, how grueling are those screening days? Because I have friends who also do it, and they come back, and they're like, my eyes! And, like, you know, they're yeah. they're hardcore. Yeah, well, I
1: just came back from Fantastic Fest in Austin, and, uh, I mean, I sort of really quick kind of origin of this, the reason why I got into film festivals in the first place because when I was at Complex, I started covering them as a writer. So I would go to uh, South by Southwest, or I'd cover Tribeca or Toronto and Fantastic Fest, and I would just, for me, it was heaven, because you get to watch five or six movies a day that aren't going to come out. Until the next year, you sort of feel like you're ahead of the curve. You kind of, you know, the, the filmmakers are there doing QA, so it's very kind of personal like that. So I just naturally got conditioned to watch like five or six a day. So I just came back from Fantastic Fest, I was there for four days. I saw like over 20 movies, so you figure it's like five a day. So you get like an hour or two break in between each one. And I I mean, I'm sure at some point some people get jaded and they kind of get like burnt out with it. I haven't yet, I'm still kind of like on a high with it. So it's, how
0: is that even <laughs> fucking possible?
1: I, because the thing
0: is, it's like you were you were writing for Complex for years. Yeah. And so like, and you know, you work to try back after that. Like this is, this love affair has been ongoing at this fervent pace. And it goes
1: back to me being like seven years old and my dad showing me, I've been me Frankenstein and becoming obsessed. And this, I mean, I've been like this my whole life, you know? So I, it, it's sort of, I'm 35 now. So for some reason it hasn't stopped. So I feel like I'm in the right profession because yeah, 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 you yeah, know? Yeah.
0: I did it right. So at no point, are you like, oh, I should never have made my passion my my life's work?
1: Uh, No, I mean, there's times when like, you know, I have friends that like are like in finance and stuff <laughs> and, and they're sort of kicking out with money and everything, you know, sometimes like, you know, maybe in that sort of end. But I would be miserable doing that because I love, I, you know, I, I love hip hop. So I covered hip hop for a long time. And then I kind of sort of fell out of love with that a little bit. But I've always loved movies. I never that's always been a constant. Mm. So no, I, I love what I do. And, you know, you sort of I, I make I make my life watching films and sort of being like a, like a tastemaker and a, and hopefully, you know, to the point where people sort of look at me as somebody like they can trust with recommendations. And well, you're a
0: specialist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so you specialize in horror at this point. Yeah. Horrors are hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like gut wrenching yeah. and taxing to watch. And I, I love horror and I'm, I'm very appreciative of the genre and I, Love very different types of movies that could be like defined as horror. But do you find like doing five horror movies, just for one example, not to say that necessarily every day is like all day horror movies, but yeah. is that hard?
1: Uh, it's, de- I mean, it depends on because uh, for me it's not, but I could see why it would be for other people, but I think. You know, you sort of mix it in, right? Like, I kind of figure out my schedule. Like, I kind of know sort of what I'm. So getting. you
0: sequence it,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah. So I try, I try to have like maybe like a fun horror comedy in the morning or something, or at midnight. <laughs> at midnight, you want to have something kind of balls out and crazy that wakes it's like you up. Like mind pairing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you watch a movie at midnight, you're exhausted from the entire day watching movies. You don't want to watch like a slow burn like period thriller or you know, like a period drama thriller. You want to watch like some bonkers, crazy shit because you want to stay awake, you know? So you kind of sequence it like that, and then during the day, maybe in the middle of the day, you kind of mix in the more kind of like cerebral, visceral kind of like head fuck shit you know right um so it, for, it, it, and sometimes it's not easy easy to do that because you're sort of like beholden to the schedule of the, pro- of of the festival but I, I sort of have a sense of what these films are even before I go in because whether it's a filmmaker or whether it's just reading and hearing about it through the grapevine I kind of try to make it like a have like a like like you said sort of like a sequencing to it that it, it doesn't it's not like a monotone day of just like misery you know what where, I mean there's a day where it's like an action horror film and I can kind of get like revved up and you know so
0: in terms of like Are you still affected as much by, like, you know, Grizzly
1: or, like. No. For me, the more that I get affected by now is just, like, the really bleak kind of, uh, like. Like, there's a film I saw at um, Fantastic Fest that's amazing. It's coming out next month. uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell. And it's just, like, just, like. It leaves you just feeling totally disgusting and like really uncomfortable because it's just some of like the like the, the bleakest stuff you've seen in a long time. So that kind of stuff gets me more on a psychological level. Now, like gore and yeah. the the like actual like the bloodshed stuff. I I mean even with the Brooklyn Festival, we try not to like cater to like just like the gorehound stuff, you know, because that's so kind of easy and cheap in a way. You know, it's fun. It could be fun. But yeah. For me, maybe it's because I've gotten older and I I've sort of lived through a lot of stuff for the last few years that like now it, to be affected I really need to be affected on like on like a deeper level totally you and know?
0: so the films at Brooklyn Horror Fest run the gamut from Get My Gun which is an Icelandic movie that's described taxonomically as part of the rape slash revenge genre
1: that's actually I'm sorry that's a, that's a New York filmmaker it's not Icelandic there are two uh, oh. Ic- we have two Icelandic films in the program but that, that one's actually a New York filmmaker
0: oh psh it's JK <laughs> but basically it's classified as a rape revenge genre right and you've got a short called Great Cho- Choice which where is the, incredible where the description reads literally a woman finds herself trapped within a Red Lobster commercial that just won't stop it's
1: incredible it's with Carrie Coon from The Leftovers yes. she's like amazing it's, so yeah, it's it, a, it, it, your yeah. festival
0: does run the gamut right yeah so how you know first of all yeah regarding Great Choice sold <laughs> it's amazing just fucking sold yeah. but how are you defining horror as a festival
1: I think we'll get, I don't know, sort of how, how much you pay attention to what's going on. Like, with, with this, like, the last couple of years, it's been this weird thing of, like, people challenging every horror movie that comes out. Like, is this really horror? Like, it started with The Witch last year. Yeah, yeah, there's this, yeah sure. There's, like, the social media kind of think piece hot take world where, like, everything has to be challenged. And yeah, talk about grim and bleak, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a documentary you could show at some point. And, um yeah, I think people sort of go into these films wanting, like, for them, if they're not, like, scared or they don't see, like, some crazy gore, they don't think it's horror and they get pissed off. I think what we're trying to do is is to sort of challenge that conception. I mean, I think... For me, you know, horror, like, obviously, there's a sort of touchstones that immediately make you think horror. Like, you know, you have uh, supernatural or ghosts or monsters, blah, blah, blah. And that all counts. But that's sort of a very narrow way to look at it for me. And what I kind of think our festival, like, I want our festival to tap into is it's I could sit here and say a lot of pretentious stuff about like, you know, oh, it's about the mood and the dread and the uneasiness, which is all true. But I kind of look at it. There's a movie I, I sort of pinpoint as like as like an example of what I think horror sh- can be if you allow yourself to kind of open up to it is uh, Last House on the Left from 72 the Wes Craven film, because that, in a way, is like the beginning of horror's evolution. Where before that, it was you know mostly like giant monster radiation movies and Universal monsters, and it was very kind of like simplistic of what it was in that the movie. Trope, trope, trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was, I mean, there was amazing movies at that time, but sure. that movie sort of blew the door open in the way that, like, if you if I describe that plot to you, sort of okay, it's a '70s movie about these parents who get revenge on a bunch of criminals who rape and murder their daughter and her friend. That could be, that could be Death Wish with Charles Bronson. That could be you know that can go yeah. in so many different directions. But the way that Craven makes that film, it's so I mean, you look at that whole sequence in the in the woods with with the rape and the murder, and it's one of the, the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life. And but it's all about how he shoots it. It's all about the sound design. It kind of makes you feel like this like uncomfortable and icky. Unease, yeah, yeah, totally. And there's the way that like you know they 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 make the girl <laughs> they make the girl piss herself, but then and they kill her, and but then the killers sort of look at each other with this repulsion, like what the fuck did we just do? And it's it taps into that moment of like. They even realize this right. is horrific what they're doing. So it's a very kind of like visceral, cerebral thing that that movie doesn't deal with any supernatural. There's no monsters. There's no demons. It's just people on people. But it's one of the best horror movies of all time because it taps into this kind of feeling that like you you enter a movie with and, and you just you just you, f- you feel such an unease and such. right. a And of, it
0: doesn't require any suspension of disbelief, which right. is an uncomfortable position from which to be watching a horror exactly. movie. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so as, as far as like, you know, you were saying you just watched Link after Link after Link. And you know what's good. I mean, obviously, that's a very wobbly sort of thing. But what what are you looking for
1: in submissions? Uh, the, the first thing I look for is something I haven't seen before. You know, because in, at tra-
0: this point, though, I, like, it's, but, yeah. but,
1: but like this year, especially, we have a bunch of films that have done that, which is kind of kind of amazing. But uh, you know, you get a lot of sort of people doing like you get a lot of submissions that are like found footage movies or like haunted house movies. Sort of somebody that can either do something completely original or take something like a haunted house film and approach it in a, in, a, in a, you know, sort of a unique way. So it's really just a feeling you get. Like if I'm watching the movie and I'm in maybe 40 minutes, 50 minutes into it, and it reminds me of 30 other movies, I kind of lose interest, you know. I kind of need something that's, there's, there's a filmmaking voice involved. There's a kind of a weird sort of a surrealness to everything that kind of makes it off kilter. It's, uh, yeah, I think if you're going to attend the film festival and you're going to buy tickets for a movie, I, I want people to to feel like they got their money's worth in a way that like, I, I hope our, our people that attend our festival enter it with wanting to be challenged and wanting to see something they've never seen before because I think there's other festivals you know, Around the country that deal with horror that sort of specialize in just showing you like tons of gore and tons of blood and stuff. And I don't know, for me as a horror fan, whenever I go to those kind of festivals, if I go and I know exactly what I'm going to get and I leave having seen exactly what I wanted, I'm like, all right, cool, now what's for dinner? What are we doing later? There's no impact. But yeah. if I leave a movie, like, what the fuck was that? Or like, what the hell just or like, or like, why, why would they put that in this festival? Because like, what makes that horror? And it kind of makes you think. I want people to leave the festival like sort of altered. Ex- yeah, expanding what they might have thought horror was. Like, I think that's our kind of goal is to is to not give you what you expect. You know, like we had a couple of films last year where like people walked out of one of them. Our centerpiece last year was this Mexican film called We Are the Flesh. If you haven't Bro, seen people it,
0: people complain that it, like that's not horror. That, yeah, that's like a classic example. Yeah, yeah. Was-
1: but like I was kind of happy about that. And I, obviously, you want everybody you know, want everybody to walk out. But like I kind of wanted people because that's a very challenging assault if it's sort of like. Like Hodorowsky, like Alejandro Hodoroski doing like a vision of hell with like tons of perverted sex, and it's just like a super crazy. It's not like anything you've ever seen in your, in your life, but like it's so clearly horror to me. But I think people entered our festival thinking like, oh, this is probably going to be something really scary, and they got super uncomfortable and weirded out by it. And I kind of like that, you know. I kind of <laughs> yeah. want people. I want people to not get what they expect and the people that come back the next year are the people I think that appreciate seeing something unique and original, yeah.
0: So you've been down with the Brooklyn Horror Fest since its inception because this is year two, right?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Essentially, so what sort of the quick version of what happened is it got started by um, two guys, this guy Justin Timms and, and Jess Byers. Justin works in editing for indie documentaries and Jess works for uh, Ridley Scott has an RSA company he works for there. They started it sort of on, on a whim because they thought it would be cool to have a horror festival and they both love movies. And... Uh, You know, it was going to be kind of, they didn't know what it was going to be exactly. They kind of just started it. They started a Twitter account and everything, and it was sort of building up. And then I was at Tribeca, like you mentioned a few times. I was one of the editors for the the site. The company wanted to have this like year-round ambitious voice where they had like original content plus sort of uh, pushing. Did did
0: you work with Lindsay Robinson?
1: Uh, No. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, that's right. But, um, so anyway, so, so after my, after a year and change there, after my second festival last year, the company went, they had a new CEO at Tribeca and they kind of went through they were trying to restructure, so they like half the company got like it was like the red wedding in Game of Thrones. Like half the company got <laughs> got clipped, including my whole department. So I was Jesus. sort of yeah. So I was kind of like, all right, what do I want to do now? I wanted to get involved in programming and festivals. And I remember the Brooklyn Festival had followed me on Twitter, I guess because I was covering a lot of horror. And I figured it'd be I thought it'd be cool to kind of get in on the ground level with sort of a new young festival. So I reached out to them, and the guy got back to me like Justin got back to me like within minutes, and he's like, yeah, definitely, I know your stuff, you know, blah blah. blah. So we met up for drinks a couple days later. Clicked and hit it off immediately. You know, they—I could tell he—he he needed. He was. They were looking for you know somebody to kind of come on and help find films and kind of give it give it a voice in the direction. So the timing all really worked out well. And I started in June last year. It was festival. We locked program at the end of August. So it was like a whirlwind summer of.
0: Wow, put, that's actually okay. Let's hold up. That is. <laughs> crazy
1: yeah and last year we had 13 features and 26 shorts and a few events and so you only you had a manner of like several weeks yeah like, that the, su- like yeah. The, the core of the summer essentially to just watch a bunch of stuff and, and it was tough last year because nobody knew who we were like, you sure. know so there's a lot of like reaching out to filmmakers and being like yeah we want to show your film a lot of them taking a flyer on us. A lot of times, I noticed that I was—I had a lot of goodwill built up from covering films for yeah. so many years. That like producers and distributors like knew my name, and there were a couple of films that some people, you know, could tell they were like, "All right, well, you know, you've done right." you You've done, right, vouching, you've done yeah. right by us for so many times that we'll take a we'll take a chance on this. And luckily, the f- pretty much every screening sold out. The response to the films was really good. It got a lot of good coverage and press. Like it really it was like the per- everything worked out like perfectly last year, almost like a dream.
0: How would you explain your mission?
1: Uh, I sort of go back to kind of what I said before in terms of I mean for me specifically I think for for New York obviously is New York it's one of the biggest cities in the world this is big epicenter but it strangely has never really had like a definitive horror festival in October, which is bizarre. L. A. has like this Beyond Fest; they had, like their thing. Austin has Fantastic Fest. You know, there's there's these, and Toronto has been like all these festivals. London, yeah, totally. Yeah, like they, they exist everywhere, but New York just never really had it. There's film festivals, horror festivals in New York that are cool, but they don't. They seem like they're not. They don't.
0: Actually, I was going to ask you like there is a New York horror festival. Yeah.
1: That... and it's cool, but it it you know I I I've gone to their films. I like their I like some of the stuff they show, but. When you go to like when I go to Toronto or when I go to Fantastic Fest, there's just a the quality of films that like I know exist at those festivals I never make it to New York until they're released on VOD. So for for me Ooh, when pshaw, I Ooh, shaw that's like shots fired kind of. I, I don't I mean the discovery it to be, but, no,
0: but the discovery process like that that finding it. Yeah, exactly. Is I, a new I didn't. Part
1: of it. I don't. I got intended to be shots, but I guess in a way it's just I felt like New York deserved to have a festival that brought in films that play a tiff and that play a fantastic fest in south by and that that like horror fans know about but they never get a chance to see so for what i want us to be and we've done a good job of that you know last two years we've had films from all those festivals as well as stuff that we've discovered that hasn't played anywhere else i kind of want it to be the definitive place for like new york city and brooklyn's horror fans to see the best of what is out that year before it comes out especially in the setting the thing with festivals is great is especially nowadays if it's not like a studio it like it or the conjuring it's on VOD or it's playing in one theater three states away like you can't see these movies in a crowd or in a, on a big screen cuz it's all on iTunes and you know whatever like shutter which is great and Netflix and stuff so a festival allows you to see these movies with a crowd on a big screen that you may never get a chance to see again. So right, I think with that's, the
0: sound and yeah, like yeah the whole yeah. kind of
1: communal experience. A yeah. lot of our venues are sort of intimate, which is cool. So like the filmmakers are there, you can get a drink with them after and talk to them. And it kind of makes like a communal vibe that New York also the horror festivals didn't seem really to have. Like they all kind of people would go to a movie, they leave and they go about their life. I kind of want like people that come to our festival. We our goal is for them to. Is to see multiple films, go to the events, to kind of see filmmakers walking around, talk to them, grab a drink, kind of have like a, like you know, like a, a little real cut.
0: moment. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. So last year made a lot of noise for debuting a Laotian horror movie called Dearest Sister. It's just the thirteenth feature film to be made in the history of Lao cinema, and.
1: It's actually that country's Oscar submission this year, which is amazing. Oh,
0: that's crazy! Yeah, that's wild. She, it's
1: the first. She's the first horror filmmaker. She's the first woman filmmaker. The first woman horror filmmaker. Her name is Maddie, Doe. She's amazing. It's uh. It's just yeah. That was that was kind of an, that was an interesting choice for us as an opening night film. But
0: yeah, for, as a gambit, that was like kind of like a gauntlet. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Totally.
1: That was the way we looked at it. It was sort of the idea being that like if we're gonna make a statement, we gotta make a big statement right away. Let, what better way to make a statement than by showing this film that's such a kind of unique sort of ex, like unheard of thing for its S- origin explain country explain the
0: premise explain the premise of the movie too cuz it's not it's not a classic i mean it's like it's ghosts but yeah. it's not like it, yeah
1: yeah it's it's a sort of the, the kind of classic idea of a woman on the edge essentially where she she uh, has to move back home and take care of her sister who's who's sick and who has, has sort of a vision problem mm-hmm. and it involves kind of the ghost of their past sort of coming back into their uh, their life essentially. So it's, it's a classical setup but...
0: It, it, but it's still there's a risk in making yeah. this your like marquee thing.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly and it just, it just, it just felt right because the movie itself is great so there was the, the quality of the film which was <clears throat> obviously most important you want to show a good film but it was also the idea of it being this thing that like it, it, it got put out on Shudder, which, if you're familiar, it's like the Netflix of like horror, sort mm-hmm. of all horror type of Netflix site, which is a great site. But, it, you know, it, it wasn't going to get a theatrical release, so there was really the one chance you would get to see it on a screen in New York. There was the idea of, at the time especially, you know, it, women filmmakers in general were making such strides, but in horror, there's just not enough. So it was just kind of like, okay, we had this... This woman, you know, filmmaker who made a great film from a country that nobody even knew made films. And it just felt like this, like, unique kind of convergence of everything. The timing worked that well that, you know, instead of... There were other films in our program that we considered just opening with that were a little bit more maybe, like, easy sales for tickets. That had more buzz or that were, like, people wanted... That were, like, more splattery kind of fun stuff. But dear sister, this seemed like the perfect kind of way for us to make a statement. You know? And
0: yeah, and it seems like such a, like a swaggy move to be like, yeah, this is like us showing our chops and our vision and our voice in hindsight. Yeah. But going out with it as your first yeah. like film festival, it was is, It was a little bit risky. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And it wor- and it,
1: well, thank God it worked. <laughs> yeah. No, it did yeah. work.
0: But so this year too, like even though I flubbed the whole Icelandic thing, there are a <laughs> lot of foreign films.
1: Yeah. No. We we that is. That's sort of your question about a mission. That's a big thing of it, too. I think, is that I, you know, it's not even really a thing where like I'm actively seeking them out. They just, they're just making the best stuff. In over, you know, what I mean, like they're just taking the most chances outside of America and it's outside of the system and stuff. And this year, we just, we we have this uh, new sidebar we're introducing called Fear and Focus. Every year, it's going to have a different theme and maybe a different country or maybe a different kind of subgenre. But this year, we noticed that there was a lot of good stuff coming out of Mexico. Yeah. So we have three films from Mexico that are really good and really different ways. One of them is, uh, I grew up loving horror anthologies like Creepshow, the old amicus tales from the crib, Walter Horror. Like that's my kind of thing, like Twilight Zone type stuff. It's uh, it's called Mexico Barbero 2. It's a sequel to a previous film. But it's... Uh it's just a bunch of new young Mexican filmmakers making you know uh, it's like seven or eight short films put into one runs a gamut from supernatural to really kind of perverted sex horror like it's everything and it's kind of almost like a sample sampler platter of like the next wave of Mexican horror filmmakers oh, that's dope. Yeah. it's kind of
0: like that well I mean like Mexico has like a long storied history like in yeah. terms of like and a lot GDT, of the films tap, like, in, yeah. tap
1: into a lot of Mexican sort yeah. of folklore well, history yeah
0: and, then, and it's also there's so much supernatural stuff in the folklore um Cath. Catholicism yeah. makes everything creepy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, no, it's, it's, it's actually kind of And another of film sort of
1: piggybacking on that is the second one in that program is this film called 1974, which plays into a lot of sort of religious Catholicism mm-hmm. uh, imagery and stuff. And it's, it's uh, I'm, I for a long time I was an apologist of found footage, you know, the whole paranormal activity wreck, all that kind of sure. stuff. And it ran its course and it got so played out and tired this is the best one I've seen in like six, seven years. It's all shot on eight millimeter film. So it has, and it's set in 1974 and it feels very authentic to that era. And it's just, it's just everything works. It's just like creepy as hell. the payoff at the end is like really big and like, just like not what you expect it to be.
0: Yeah, reinventing the wheel at that level is yeah. kind of hardcore, Yeah, it's like it, not easy to that's do. That's one that like yeah. I've, been, I've
1: been tracking for a long time. And then when I watch it, I kind of like, all right, I found footage, movie. let's see what it can do. And I was like, holy shit, this is, this is like the best I've seen in this kind. And, and it's just, and it's a sort of a subgenre of, of horror that people kind of look down upon so I'm hoping that people see this and they're like oh wow you can actually do something interesting in this so world in again. terms
0: of like taste making and you know people throw that around the world like throw that word around like crazy and it's like very like you know overused but you do have a lot of say mm-hmm. because it is kind of again a crazy thing to be like you know it's like it's like fashion or style or whatever where you're just kind of like guys found footage back yeah. in
1: terms of this movie yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah. like
0: an outlandish statement for like a horror buff to be saying in 2017.
1: Yeah. And, and you sort of hope that people give it a chance because I, I know I'm sure the people that see it found footage in the, in the description, they just don't want they, want, meh, they just, Yeah, yeah exactly. totally. So you kind of you hope that like somebody attending a horror festival is sort of open-minded enough or, or willing to give it a chance. And I think if they do, they're going to be surprised by it, you know?
0: That's awesome. So yeah. something like Mayhem... You know, oh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. The Walking Dead, Steven Yeun, yeah. d- director Joe Lynch. It's like a virus movie. So this is the New York premiere. Yep. How do you like? How do you secure that? Like, what is that process? Like, how much red tape is there? Like, what what is there to clear? Like,
1: yeah, it's it's every film is different. That film um, already has just dis- had distribution sort of locked in by the time we got to it. So you have to go through. Uh, the distributor that's going to be releasing it and make sure that they don't have a New York premiere yet make sure it works well with their sort of release schedule like that's coming Mm -hmm. out I believe it's like the first week in November so the timing of that works out really well uh you got to hope that it's not playing another festival that weekend so we can have access to it you know um that one worked out well because joe lynch on top of just being like cool as hell he's going to come for he's doing a q and a he's going to be here for the festival which is cool but he's from like long island he's from new york oh, so for him it was so he like flex that you yeah, like yeah. listen yeah and like totally. I, knew him, I knew him i had like sort of a connection with him through social media because i interviewed him as a writer years ago so we you know he followed me right away we got we always kind of had a rapport on Twitter, and I just reached out to him, and I, you know, I I told him what we we're doing, and he was really excited because he, he he hasn't had one of his films screened like in a big premiere in New York for like a long time, so for him it's like he can have his family come out. It's really exciting for him. So that one was interesting because we had to deal with distribution. Like a lot of times, like certain films in our lineup, like there's a film called Salvation from Spain that's what hasn't been on anybody's radar, but it's really good. It's this really kind of like teen uh vampire movie that like super emotional like it's like one of the films like after the end of it i was like almost in tears like it really hits you Whoa. it's it's like sold
0: that sounds up my alley yeah yeah, 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 yeah totally. it's in that
1: it's in that let the right one in yeah vein yeah yeah oh, love that movie um, i think
0: i might have seen that movie based on your recommendation maybe yes yeah, right yeah totally uh, no <laughs> cool. i actually distinctly very vividly remember a
1: conversation with you about that um, <laughs> this, so this one so this but that was on nobody's radar so that one i deal directly with the filmmaker and i reach out and and you know, they they get in touch with me and there's no real red tape. It's very much like one on one, you know. So everything's a case by case sort of So
0: that's almost like just going into the DMs being like, Yo Yeah,
1: yeah, or just or just finding the person's email through their, you know, their website or their you know, their sort of IMDb contact and just that reaching out. And
0: potentially just fucking gratifying.
1: Yeah, it is. And and I, I want yeah, I mean those are the kind of films that like of course I want everybody to love all the films on our program, but the ones like that that like aren't on anybody's radar that, you know, like that we found or that I kind of like dug up those are the ones I, I hope connect the biggest, just because you know it, it. I think they say the most about our festival. You know what I mean? Like, the, like Mayhem is, is a lot of fun and it's a great movie, and I love that we have it. But it's played at other festivals, you yeah. know. So there's so there's people there's a, people kind of. I think when they, our lineup came out, there were people like hoping we had Mayhem because they knew it existed. Yeah. But when they look at the lineup, they see Salvation or our, our closing night film is this film called The Book of Birdie. It's is really cool. It's uh this woman uh this English uh, from from England named Elizabeth Shook. She um she's a storyboard artist. She works. She did storyboards <laughs> for Wonder Woman. She does like studio oh, okay. storyboard Showed, like, work.
0: Fucking Big Willy yeah, shit. This yeah, this is her
1: first feature as a director, and it's sort of I kind of compare it. If people sometimes need a little bit of like a comparison to, to draw them in, this movie Raw that came out this year.
0: Oh yeah, I saw. it. God, that was hard too. It's a
1: little bit like yeah, it's not yeah. it's not as gnarly as that in that yeah. way. But it's 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 it's, uh, it's about this girl who has sort of a traumatic past, and you don't really get to know what that is right away. Her mother's kind of just throw throws her hands in the air, doesn't know what to do with her, moves her into a convent, hoping that'll kind of like reform her in a way and she moves into this convent you kind of sense that she has this weird obsession with blood she has these weird hallucinations where she talks to these ghosts, these like nun ghosts in it and it all kind of like how that all converges and you sort of figure out what's wrong with her Uh, it's just really original really unique, it's all female cast there's like not one guy in the cast so it has a very kind of specific Mm -hmm. POV to it and it uh, it it's it it's not a scary horror movie. It kind of taps into that sort of feeling and vibe I mentioned earlier. Where yeah. it's, I think it's one that I'm really curious about that response because I hope people appreciate it, but it it's not going to deliver. It's not. It doesn't give you what you expect. It, it, it kind of challenges you. Really it kind of
0: have like a slow burn, like weird long yeah. tail where yeah. you like think about it like several days exactly. later. Yeah,
1: and and it's sort of tapping into that dear sister conversation. This we made this a closing night film for a similar reason. It was another kind of discovery film with this you know really interesting new. Uh, you know, young woman filmmaker with this really unique kind of weird movie that it, to us, it, it kind of put a stamp on the festival being like, this is the kind of stuff we're going to like really push and get behind. The lead actress is coming for Q&A, which is cool and stuff. So like, we're, it's a big event. Yeah. And, and it uh, sounds
0: like this director too, like, as far as like opportunities for women, I mean, it's wonderful, but also like, this is someone who is... Has been a visualist mm-hmm. in her the career. The film looks amazing. It looks sure, amazing. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. The, the I mean, you sold me on on it for a variety of reasons. But like a storyboard artist, like n- now being like, here's the keys. Yeah, like yeah. That, I would watch shit out of that. That would be really visually interesting. To yeah, me.
1: you look just look at the images, the pictures of it online. They yeah, pop, the poster pops, everything pops. It's just a very like. Yeah, it, 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 it looks amazing on top of it just having this really kind of unique voice to it. And I'm really excited about that one. That's one that I'm really hoping that people kind of gravitate yeah, to. Totally. Yeah, totally.
0: So you have a super interesting sort of career trajectory in, you know, like you and I actually met 1,000 years ago. <laughs> um, we were both lowly editorial assistants. You were working at King and <laughs> yeah. I was at Double XXL. We kind of shared an office in the, in the dungeon area. Um, so, and we both worked at Complex and... That's when you started writing about movies, but did you know that your end game was to like do something in programming the entire time? It was always
1: my goal. It was always my like hope, you know. Uh, you kind of like circled the
0: dream for many, many, many years. Then yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, my first festival I covered a complex. I believe it was South by Southwest in 2012. Uh, sort of on the whim, the company had never really done that, you know. Justin Monroe, who you know, he yeah, was working sure. with me on the Pop Culture Channel. We both had this like vision that we should <laughs> we should be at these festivals and have a voice in this community. It, you know, it's
0: it's funny actually because now the like, complex is such a thing, and yeah. people are like, oh yeah. But back then, when everything was split into channels, it was like, yeah. Here's a channel, you two young strapping gentlemen, <laughs> like go build this entire thing. And so there was a lot of autonomy, but like, yeah, yeah there was a lot. To cover. Yeah, like
1: he brought, he, you know, Justin brought me in when he, when those channels essentially got split up and they became a thing. And it was our, the two of us kind of our job to make, figure out what the hell the pop culture channel would be, you know?
0: And I remember you being fucking stoked because even making that crossover from being an editor to a writer was like really exciting. It was that
1: and it was also coming from the hip hop space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, cause, you know, Complex has hip hop, so it's not like a full left turn, but I I always, for a while, when I was at Double XL, when I was at King and stuff, I always kind of felt like I I didn't know if I'd be able to kind of get out of that I was gonna like I guess like trapped in that kind of hip-hop space where I always love movies so I kind of wanted to stretch myself so when a complex thing happened it was exciting because a I would be looked at as like the head writer which I loved writing you know writing was always my passion but it was also a matter of now I'm gonna, now I'm really gonna get to like flex my, my my shit when it comes to knowing about movies and knowing about mm. film and stuff um yeah so when I went to South by Southwest I just fell in love with the festival world like instantly I saw a movie at the Draft house which was like the coolest theater yeah, in the world. yeah totally everything we have like one clicked.
0: now which is cool but yeah
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And that our opening night actually is at the draft house in Brooklyn next Thursday perfect so Perfect. it all kind of like yeah, six together totally. in full circle. But um, So I just knew. I was like, I, I didn't know what exactly what I wanted to do in that world. But I knew that like I'm the happiest professionally or work-wise when I was at a festival. I just like, I my year revolved around going to, Neuro- to Toronto. We're going to Fantastic Fest. And I just like, every year I'm like, please let the Complex still want to send me out. You know, like I yeah, just yeah, hope it yeah. would still happen.
0: So that's how like your vision sort of came into focus. Yeah. And then yeah.
1: sort of the, the path towards it is sort of a weird thing where like, you know, I was at Complex until 2015 they were uh, you know they were going more towards video and they were kind of figuring out their direction and i and and i was kind of almost ready to leave on my own end so there was kind of a thing the timing worked out where they you know they they let me go but i was kind of ready to go anyway yeah. i needed something different um, there was
0: like I, a seismic change throughout yeah. that, that building. I felt yeah. like
1: I was just getting old, like I'm sort of aging out of it a little bit too. Yeah. Like, my, I always got told by the editors and stuff there that, like, my stuff was like, it's too highbrow or it's too, like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I felt like I was writing for the wrong audience. Like, the, the readers of Complex weren't caring about, like, me writing about some weird indie horror movie, you know, like, right. there was kind of a disconnect at a certain point. So, anyway, so then when they, when they let me go and I left there, I freelanced for a few months. I wrote for The Dissolve, which was like my favorite yeah, website in the yeah. world. I wrote, I did four really cool things for them, and then they got shut down. So, I'm like, that sucks. So and then I got into Grantland. I wrote something for Grantland I was really happy about. All horror pretty much. They got shut down. Like, what the fuck? So, so I was you're getting, like,
0: it's me. Yeah, I am like, like typhoid Mary like, <laughs> of like media.
1: <laughs> and it just frustrated me. And it got me really kind of thinking about like, do I do I want to stay in this writing world forever? Because this is so unstable and so kind of like
0: Yeah in volatile, a bad place. Yeah. So
1: I I had known people at Tribeca and I just sort of reached out to them, knowing I wanted to get into the festival world, but not sure how I can jump into it, sort mm-hmm. of with my writing background. And it just happened that the timing worked out that they were looking to sort of give their website a year-round presence. And, you know, they knew I could write and edit and blah, blah, blah. So they brought me in to sort of help as one of those kind of head people to, to, to figure out this, like, year-round Tribeca Film Festival website voice. It was a Really cool experiment that, you know, did its thing for a little bit. But like I said, eventually they, they shuttered it and closed it. And yeah. then it was a comp- I,
0: I did some stuff with Tribeca, too, just, like, red carpet stuff. Because I remember when they were like, we want to be totally editorial and i was yeah. like oh cool like
1: they were really gung-ho and then it's just you know and, and, and i think we did cool stuff but i just i don't think they ever fully got it you know like they didn't know yeah. exactly who they wanted it to be and you know just the things happened and you so know, i
0: have a question yeah. so like you went from being an editor you were doing um rap shit and then you were getting into movies i have a question as i've announced previously in the same question um did you ever have like crippling imposter syndrome like like uh, like I get to be the one who decides what's horror, what's important in horror, what's next in horror. Like, I know you have an encyclopedic, like, knowledge of this, but, like, transitioning into the person who gets to decide, did you have any sort of anxiety?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've had that forever. I had it when I was covering hip-hop and being, like, looked at as, like, guy that XXL was always giving me album reviews. And I'm like, really? Like, do people... Like, what is, why like, you know, why do they think I know about hip hop? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a white kid from the suburbs of Jersey. Like, do people really think that I know enough about this? Right. And that so that, that every job I've had that existed until now, where even now I think before last year's festival I was hundred percent thinking that, like, what the fuck, you know, like is this if people hate these movies they're gonna think I'm a joke, you know? But because you
0: could have been wrong yeah. all throughout because of last year. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and just the success of last year's festival, I think for not just for me, but for everybody on our team, I think we all kind of were like validated, you know, like okay, we this is something that we're we're doing the right thing and this is working and we can that's why we blew it up to an extra day this year. More venues, more yeah. films, because we feel confident that we can expand everything and what's, that the people will be there.
0: What's the logistical sort of kerfuffle and cost of adding a day?
1: Uh, well, the day we added is the Thursday. Last year was Friday to Sunday. This year is Thursday to Sunday. And that Thursday is at the, the opening night at the Draft House. So it's only one screening. It's mm-hmm. this film, Housewife, by uh, this Turkish filmmaker, Jan Evernol, who made this film, Baskin, a couple of years ago. If you have any sort of familiarity with it, it's mm-hmm. it's it's like... Clive Barker on on Acid Baskin, it's incredible. It's just, amazing. It's and this one is more of him like Mario Bava on Acid. This is like a complete kind of weirder, surreal, dream logic movie. He has a kind of a sort of a, a budding following in the horror world because Baskin was like this big noisemaker. So it's like a really big look for us to have a North American premiere of this film. It's like a, it's like a really kind of like oh shit, we it was like a validation. Like okay, we have like a film that everybody wants to see with this like really buzzy filmmaker who's coming to, from Turkey to do the Q and A. We're at the Draft House. Everything was like okay, this is like a real deal. So right you're
0: now. all about like. Easter eggs and rewards. Like, if you are into horror, like, this is, like, fucking it. Like, this is, like...
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's that, there's that balance of, of what I said earlier about the film like Salvation or Book of Birdie, where you want to surprise people and give them something they don't know exists, but you want to also reward people that, like, want to see this movie Housewife. They want to see Mayhem, you know, because they know it's... So it's star- like
0: destination shit. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, want... Totally. You want it,
1: that's all. Of, I think those are the key to putting a good festival together in general, regardless of all the mission statements I say, is you want to find that balance of... Of introducing people to something really cool and, and new, but also delivering what they want. You know, you you don't want to go too much on one direction. You kind of want to find the balance. So that,
0: you're not just good at horror. You're actually just really good at festivals.
1: I hope so. Yeah, that's sort of that's what I'm trying to be. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a strategy to every one of them. You know, every no, festival totally. has a very specific strategy to what they want to do. And I think for what we want to do is, is sort of everything I've just said. And and you know, and build on it every year. But I think essentially every year we want to we want to give you. A few films that you're dying to see, and then maybe you will also happen to go into the film after that, and it's something you had no idea about, and you love that even more than the other one. So next year you're like, oh, I'm gonna go. To, I'm gonna go to every movie next year because I, I trust these guys. That they yeah, know what
0: trust they, is like a huge. It's part all about of building it. trust. Yeah, yeah. you got to
1: have a kind of um, a credibility or a reliability. Like if people go to your festival, there's been festivals I've gone to and I've, I've seen maybe three or four bad movies in a row, and I'm like, Fuck next, you. next year, uh, next year yeah. I might just not come back. Totally. Here, you know? Yeah.
0: So you know, obviously, again, like you know everything. Um... What are some resources for people who like just pretty like, it, like I like horror. Like, where do I go?
1: Right now, the uh, I think your your best bet online is Shutter. I'm a huge fan of that okay. uh, because how much is it? It's only like five dollars a month. Oh, it's cheap. so it's even cheaper. Yeah, than yeah, like, and, it's and their like catalog, Hulu, and yeah, their catalog is like getting it's just bigger and bigger every day. They but and they and there are two guys that are the curators. Um, this guy Sam Zimmerman, who comes from like Fangoria and, yeah, and that yeah. world, and Colin Getz, and Colin Getty's who programmed Midnight Madness at Tiff for forever. So they're like, they're they're legit, and they know what they're doing. So you can trust them. It sort of goes back to what we're talking about trust with programmers, or you yeah. know. And kind of the idea of like Shutter's thing is they want to kind of be the like the VHS store of the internet. So like when you go to VHS store back in the, back in the day, you go up to the register guy, and be like, yo, what's a good horror movie I can watch? And you trust that guy to tell you. Sort of the idea behind Shudder is like we're the curators that you know. Yeah. So there's that. So, so so Shutter's is a great place to go and just watch stuff and just kind of immerse yourself in films. And then there's there's that. I mean there's there's a lot of books that I I would recommend to read. Like name one. It's a tough call. I to, but, but, yeah, quick. you can name two. Because uh, they kind of run the gamut. Yeah. So The first one is uh, David Skull's "The Monster Show," which is basically like an uh, like a history of horror from like the German Expressionism all the way through the '80s. But he just researches the hell out of it. It goes through all the backstories of Karloff and Frankenstein, and it's just like the ultimate resource from like for like pre Last House and Left Horror, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Like the pre stuff is that. Then there's this book came out a few years ago, Shock Value, by Jason Zinneman, who's a New York Times writer, and it's basically, he interviews, you know, a lot of these guys have passed away recently, which is kind of crazy, i going to read the book now, but like Wes Craven, Toby Hooper, George Romero, you know, um, yeah. Brian De Palma, and he goes through The Last House on the Left, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all that stuff, and how the 70s basically reinvented horror, and it's all like a first-person account, so millions of reported interviews, and in so essentially those two books kind of cover... The most important eras of horror. So I feel like if you read those two books, you'll have a very kind of good handle on like the history of the genre. And then you go to like something like Shutter and just watch stuff and, and discover weird shit and, and kind of figure out what your like what your what your vibe is, you know? Because there's so many different vibes as like a horror fan. That's kind of what we do too is kind of figuring out how to tap into all that. Like I have a kind of very specific vibe. What is your specific vibe? My specific vibe is bleak as hell. Uh, I, I I'm tough with horror comedies. I tend to like like the good ones like Shaun of the Dead and Evil Dead, but I prefer. Something that is just completely there to fuck you up and get under your skin and really just disturb you. I, I like the darker the better. Um, I like. I was very big on like the new French extreme wave in the mid two thousands, like Martyrs and Inside and High Tension, like that. God, like, with god, grueling, amazing movies are. Where like the filmmaking is like next level, great. Actually,
0: that's true. You They're know? very like, quality. Yeah, like that's that's yeah. my thing. Is
1: I I, I fight. You could find that marriage of amazing filmmaking with just like visceral in your face shit it's like the ultimate marriage so i kind of look for that like i want the filmmaking to be very very particularly like very unique and very strong but also i want to be just like disturbed i want i want to feel like just uncomfortable and uneasy at the end of it like i don't i like i like ending like i'm a very big proponent of like dark unhappy endings in my movies you know even like the fiction i read like i just some reason there's something about that and i wish i could explain why that is but Right, right, right.
0: For your therapist, maybe. Yeah. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what about just like some resources if you are a budding horror filmmaker? That, like, are there like grants? Like who's like the community that will help you?
1: That is uh, for specifically for horror. It's There's not so many out there. I mean, there's like Sundance Labs and stuff that, you know, that you could do that for. But again, I keep going back to Shudder. I'm a big fan of it. But they have Shudder Labs is something they started recently, which is very specifically oh, for that's cool. horror filmmakers. Where is Shudder based out of? Uh, New York. Oh, okay. I, well, I know Colin lives in Toronto, so I know he's not here, but I know yeah. Sam, and their main office is somewhere in Midtown, I think. But, oh, fascinating. Um, yeah, and they do it in, I forget the exact town, it's like in upstate New York, they, they did it a few months ago, I think it's like every year, maybe like the, f- the spring of some sort, and it's like a retreat for a weekend, they pick, I think like 10 filmmakers with projects they want to work on, Oh, cool. and they have like four or five sort of like producers and industry experts, and they spend the weekend with you, and you sort of work on your films. That to me is like, that's like the best one right now, that's like a really good one for people to seek out, I think.
0: And so how much prestige, just to sort of orient the Brooklyn Horror Fest in this, mm-hmm. in this sort of ecosystem, how much prestige does it carry to, like, win a prize there?
1: We're still figuring that out. You know, we still kind of... I no, don't, sure. It's a very premature question. Yeah, I just, yeah, like, in, yeah.
0: in the ecosystem, it's kind of like, oh, like...
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, a lot of that comes down to, uh, you know, you, you'll see a lot of that in, like, posters and marketing. It comes down to, like, oh, this was, you know, like a film. I think, you know, for now, it, it, the prestige is building up. I think this year is going to be bigger than last year. Last year we had a lot of awards, and, you know, the, I, when they were announced, they were, we got pressed for them, but they didn't necessarily, like, blow up somebody's mm-hmm. career, you know what I mean? So I, I hope we can build towards that being, like, a career stamp. So for now... I think it means something. I think the the more the people sort of respect our programming, it'll mean more. I think once we kind of have like an like an identity. <laughs> People know that, okay, Broken Horror Film Festival shows really that good stuff, so this. if they yeah. won this, there must be something to that film. So we're still kind of building towards that. So I think we're kind of in the early stages of...
0: No, sure. Well, also, like, you're you're kind of a tough crowd, even as the programmer, so you're not really the P- Peter Travers
1: of, <laughs> like, <laughs> No <laughs> reviews, yeah, yeah. So. No, no snappy pull quotes for yeah, Rotten yeah, Tomatoes, yeah. no. Yeah. All
0: the stars. Um, so possibly this is the dumbest question ever, and I just have no idea, but do you win a thing? Like, do you win anything?
1: No, there's like like a physical trophy or anything? Yeah. No, not yet. I mean, you know, down the line hopefully we could figure something out that has more of a tangible thing, but for now it's more of a bragging rights. Yeah, bragging acolytes, rights. So you yeah. get like like a laurels, you know, like something you could put on yeah. your marketing that says best picture winner at and you know, it's more of a talking point. There's no actual physical like prize yet.
0: Okay, sounds good. And um so you do not have
1: beef with the New York Horror Film Festival, no, of course not. And I didn't mean for that. I, did, I hope that didn't come off across like that. No,
0: no. I just envisioned in but my they, mind because I saw like your your festivals are pretty close together, and I yeah. envisioned like the Anchorman fight scene at best, <laughs> no, where no, it's no. like
1: no, like the guys there are cool and they and they have some cool stuff this year. I think this year their program is the best it's ever been. Like I really, I'm. Do I'm, you like,
0: think that you like lit a fire under their ass? I
1: I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, there's another one called Fear NYC that happens uh, around the same time as New York City Horror, and and I think that. Yeah, I, I I you know, again, I'm sort of biased, but I, I I I would imagine they look at our programming and and they're like, "Fuck, what yeah, is because, this? Cause again, Yeah, because cuz again, we're getting stuff from Toronto. You know, we're getting these big films that people that people want to see, and I think that, you know, it says something to that. So I I hope that the friendly I look I would I would like to have friendly competition like, you know, in some way. But, you know, I it's just I it just comes from me being a fan for so many years and they have a very, like, those kind of festivals have a very specific, I think, audience they're going for mm. that I think our audience is a little bit, is, is in a different kind of uh, wavelength, you know. So I think we're kind of almost... So start- basically,
0: are you the cool kids?
1: <laughs> I, that, that's for you to say. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I hope so. But, you know, I, maybe we're too young to know. But I think, I think the programming, you know, speaks for itself. I think, you know, I think if you... Just based on the response we're getting so far it seems like we're filling some kind of void that people wanted you know Mm. so we'll see how that translates
0: so okay I know you love your job I know you love festivals I know you love programming I know all this is there a part of you that that is like a frustrated director or writer.
1: Uh, there's a part of me that, that wants to, like, I've always, as a writer, just writing about films in general, I've always wanted to, like, write films, you know? So there's that side of me. I've never, I've never, like, pursued it enough to say I, like, failed at it. You know, it's always been kind of, like, a fun thing Have I Have you did ever is written it, a script? Yeah, more like short film stuff I've okay. done that I, I you know that I, I like I'm still revising and I'm not totally in love with, but I've I've done stuff here and there and I, you know I'd love to do it down at some point, but as at this moment now I I actually genuinely like love the sort of tastemaker gatekeeper side of it more than mm. I think actually making stuff you know I don't I, guess, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean who knows how far it can go but for now I I enjoy. Doing this, and I kind of want to see where this can sort of what doors this can lead to, or where this, where how big we can make this festival. And we're starting a second festival next year, this North Bend that we're doing. If you've heard, we announced it last week. No, I uh, didn't see this. a yeah. so
0: shitty interview. Tell me everything. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we announced it last week. It's going to be in North Bend, Washington, which is where David Lynch shot a lot of Twin Peaks exteriors. So the kind of the idea oh, of it. Oh
0: snap! It's going to
1: be in August of next year. August, I believe, the twenty third, the twenty sixth, around that time. Uh, the, the, the fun idea is to kind of tap into a lot of Twin Peaks, kind of like the vibe of that, maybe to have some events that kind of have that kind of look and feel to them, but also to not just have a horror festival. So it's going to be much more like everything's going to have a kind of weirder sort of like, like off center vibe, but yeah. it can be comedy. It can be action. It could be sci-fi. It could be weird drama. It's... I
0: love that you are doubling your workload kind of in the same season. If it's like that late in August yeah. versus like yeah, yeah. October, that's yeah. really
1: close to each other. Yeah, but it's going to be fun. So I think that, you know, that's, that's going to be something where we can kind of tap into, uh, a different the horror stuff Brooklyn Horror Festival is amazing we love doing it but obviously when you put horror in your festival it limits what you can show because it has to it has to tap into that vein you know you right. can't get too weird with it whereas this North Bend thing is going to be our chance to really kind of get Shine. weird and, yeah, yeah. Just, and just bring everything we can into it.
0: So it's, it's you know speaking last year and also this year you're you have you know we're, we're talking about like really important movies that have a female director and like an all female cast in terms of like your closing movie this year but There are a lot of women in horror movies, and it's not just like, you know, like, Scream Queen type things. It's like a lot of strong female characters, a lot of like villains, Mm -hmm. and and they're all really nuanced and interesting. It's like, you know, it runs the gamut from like, this is like so like basic, but like it runs (laughs) the gamut from like Carrie to like the chicken audition to like the girl
1: walks home alone at night. Mm -hmm. Why is that? It's just, it's, it's interesting because I think it's been a thing where I, I think that the, the like, the, there's a, speaking of books to read about horror, there's an amazing book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carl Clover. It's like one of the definitive books, and it sort of speaks to the idea that, uh the final girl is the idea of like you know you sort of women kind of the the sort of preconception is that they're weaker than men maybe or that they're like frail you know that they're not mm. so there's that kind of arc of them rising up and and sort of defying and winning and beating the monster or beating the 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 demon or whatever so I think a lot of it taps into that and I think it's just it's just I, the horror in general is just kind of always ahead of the curve its so it always tries I mean things. it's also
0: like you know speaking of like female villains it's also because like let's be fucking honest like
1: Women's dark, that's pretty fucking dark. Yeah, like we have really dark darks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 horror is the best place to tap into all that. You know, you can, you can the and the thing the thing I love about now that we're getting so many women filmmakers in horror is because horror has been so kind of historically dominated by women characters. It's just always been weird that like it's always men telling that story. Yeah, right? totally.
0: I mean, speaking of like. We were just talking a little bit about raw, uh-huh. and it's gruesome and it's intense and like women, like female director, and that casts it in such a different yeah. light.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, you can only. There's ima- no
0: male gaze. Shit. No, exactly. It's, yeah. it's and, and actually a horror movie devoid of that just like that sort of um, lens that we're so used to sometimes just makes it a lot more immediate. makes it immediately uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at something like like the Babadook, right? I don't know if you've yeah. seen that. And that's that's sort of essentially kind of the shining, but told from a woman's perspective and by a woman filmmaker. And it has a very, you know, the maternal stuff really kind of registers because this is from made by somebody who knows what that is like and can, can really tap into that as opposed to like, you know, a, a like a male director trying to tell a story of a woman. And there's always a kind of disconnect there. like you Yeah. Know, and
0: that dissonance sort of creates a sort of like feeling of safety almost because yeah. you're just kind of like, oh, like I'm looking at a screen because right, right. that sort of added sort of you know, interpretation, I suppose, just yeah. does create a little bit of dissonance. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what are some, you know, being the guy who's seen everything, like what are some trends or tropes that are like super zeitgeisting and horror for like the last, I don't know, calendar year or so? Where you're like, oh my God, another meow, meow, meow? Like-
1: <laughs> uh, it's honestly the last, the, the one of the things that's been exciting about doing our festival these last two years is it's been a weird two years where like there really hasn't been, like, there hasn't been a, a one common thread throughout the year. I think kind of what makes the horror exciting the last couple of years is that it's so everywhere and it's so kind of all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of taps into what we were saying earlier about the genre kind of being hard to pin down right now. And I think that's why so many people are sort of attacking it for films for not being horror because they're not used to it being so kind of
0: they're seeing it as a dilution instead of an addition exactly yeah, yeah. totally
1: yeah so it, there really hasn't been like you know like in the studio system a lot of the stuff like the conjuring has kind of led to a lot of sort of supernatural haunted house type movies mm-hmm. and stuff you know like an Annabelle universe and all that is very kind of classical haunted house type movies so there's an abundance of that but now like with it I mean coming out it's sort of a game changer in a way because it's this. did like, you like that movie I, I loved it yeah
0: really I, it has so many loose ends for me where I'm like I don't get it like the yeah rules are inconsistent for me and I know that some of it is just because the source material was also yeah like interpretive visually kind of like oh why is that or like what does yeah, yeah. what does this mean but
1: I mean yeah I, I love the for the the kids themselves are great I love the, the way that great, the yeah. Bill Skarsgård yeah. plays Pennywise I've seen it twice and the second time his performance is a million times better it's so how often pes- do you
0: watch movies twice
1: uh, more often than I should admit I mean <laughs> I've seen I just I saw Grindhouse in theaters five times and that would be three and a half hours long like if I love something I, I'll go I'll go to it just to watch like a very specific scene like part the sec- of it yeah. like I might want I may go catch a matinee of it again at some point before at least theaters because I want to see like one moment Again, I love this the scene when he comes out of the refrigerator. To me, that's like, like when they're in the house on Nebole Street and he comes yeah. out of the fridge. He does this weird kind of like sh- like sideways dance thing, and it's like this really bizarre way to play Pennywise. But to me, that's like the best like here's Johnny moment in, horror, in a long time of like this is my big introduction as the villain, and like it's so well done. So I would like go pay to see that movie again just for that one scene and like totally. be and be content, you know?
0: Totally. So that is like just an interpretation that you want to go see again.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I, I latch on to very like specific scenes and specific moments in movies that like I love. So that one I'll I'll go back and watch that scene again. But I I I think it is just really exciting because it's it's doing something that, you know, it's 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 genuinely an R movie, but it's an R movie with that brings kids into the theater so I think it just kind of and the fact that it's an movie it's the biggest horror movie of all time mm. theatrically opens the doors for a lot more filmmakers to, to make stuff that's more kind of aggressive and in your face in the studio system which hasn't really been the case because you know stuff like The Conjuring and these things are really great but they don't always pull the punches that like tapping into the old French extreme stuff I mentioned earlier, like if it, there's a way that horror can kind of become like super aggressive in your face and, and get more
0: ba- challenging and get back
1: to how it wasn't like the mid two thousands with like hostile and these movies where like, they were, su- you know, they, they were funny at times, but they, but then when they went for it, they really kind of went for the jugular. And I feel like horror, mainstream horror hasn't had that in a while. So it like the first scene of it, when the kid's arm gets ripped off, it's like, holy shit, like they're actually showing that. Oh, and let's like this, go. Yeah. Totally. Instantly establishes itself as it's this, we're here to really kind of go for it.
0: And actually it's funny because strangely, and I don't know what this says about me, but when it's, when the kid's arm gets ripped off, it's very satisfying because he was a little annoying until that point. Like, I was just like, oh, let's go. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Um, so actually, like, you know, horror movies, like most, I guess, genre films are really, really fascinating breeding grounds, you know, for invention, because obviously, like the lack of budget dictates that kind of thing. But then you have something like you know Jordan Peele's Get Out, right? Which you know made four point five million gross over two hundred fifty million. I mean, basically all of like the Blumhouse roster, like Paranormal Activity, that was like the super famous one, like fifteen thousand dollar budget, grossed over like one hundred ninety million. And now with it doing really well, is there a part of you where in losing this sort of returns or box office stigma? Scare you? Where you're kind of like, oh fuck! Like, is this where the fuck shit really starts happening? Like within the <laughs> studio system?
1: I, uh, to he, I think you always kind of have to have that cynicism in mm. the back of your head and expect it. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think the with Blumhouse is interesting because they're always going to be able to make Get Out's. You know what I mean? Because that's their whole mission statement is to give these, you know, give the give filmmakers that they think are really talented or have a really interesting voice, give them x amount of money and make what you want. So like they're always as long as Blumhouse is in business. They're always going to be making movies like Get Out. So I think that kind of uh, their business model works so well that they have to they give the filmmakers this autonomy to Yeah, no to do what one they want. can
0: knock those returns. Like, right, yeah, yeah, and I was talking to jo- Jordan Peele and he was just like, I can't believe I got to make this movie. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So as long as as long as companies like Blumhouse are out and I think, you know, the, the longer they keep killing it, other producers and companies are going to try to mimic that. And and by mimicking that, you have to basically give these really interesting filmmakers you know, not a lot of money, but enough money to make a really interesting, weird movie. And if you put it out in theaters and it costs me like four million dollars to make, chances are you're going to make your money back the first weekend. So mm-hmm. it's like almost like a foolproof business model. You know what I mean? So I think as long as those companies keep doing what they're doing, the fuck shit, as you said, is, is going to be hard. It's like it's not going to be as um, spectacular headache. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah.
0: So actually, um, you know, kind of going back to this this interview, but like I was talking to him and I was like. Not to be fucked up because it's, like, the worst thing that has collectively happened to us. But is a part of you happy that Trump's in office? Because this movie coming out, like, during MAGA is, like, so different from this movie coming out with, like, the first, like, female president. And he actually said, I would rather this come out on VOD and have Hillary than the shit that's going on right now. Is there any sort of, like, reflection in terms of, like, political turmoil and horror's popularity? Is that, like
1: oh that's, that's I mean that's like the the legacy of horror in a way right I mean that's kind of what, it's like a catharsis yeah or, I mean yeah. It, goes, it goes back to that book Shock Valley I mentioned earlier there's an amazing documentary from the early 2000s called The American Nightmare that's all about all these movies in the 70s that were very were all politically um, minded I mean look at Night of the Living Dead it's a response to you know to like Vietnam and to the whole sort of civil rights movement even like you know like if you've seen Night of the Living Dead like the yeah. last scene is amazing and it's all about you know this racism and these racist guys with this one black person and you know so I think horror, horror is, is interesting because I think, and I think, what Get Out does so well, is it, because horror is what it is and it's meant to scare you and it's meant to be exciting. That you can, you can make an entertaining movie and you could sneak in these ideas that you can't necessarily get away with in the drama because it's going to seem heavy-handed and sort of over on the
0: nose. Yeah, yeah whereas totally. horror,
1: you can make a crazy you know, the haunted house movie, but you can have a kind of subtext going on the entire time that doesn't have to be like in your face, but you know, it's there. So you can kind of like, so Jordan Peele, get out some brilliant. It's amazing.
0: You know what I like actually about your taste and to be like, L- come on my show so I can give you compliments, But <laughs> you are not like the fringe dude who's on some fucking like pitchfork reviews, review shit, you know, like you, you like mainstream horror cinema.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I. Because I mean some of the you know some of the, like going as a kid and watching certain movies in theaters blue You know like I, I I think I want mainstream horror to be good because I want to go to a big theater and see these movies With a crowd and get that response and stuff like I don't like There's certain people that you know immediately poo poo the the next 3,000 screen movie and no I think you can make these movies There's no reason why you can't get a filmmaker like Jordan Peele or the guy who made it who's a really interesting filmmaker Andy Muschietti you get these interesting filmmakers to make a horror film and let them make their film you could do that on a big studio budget it's just a lot of times the studios come in and interfere with it but I, I don't think there's any reason why studio movies can't be good you know and i think hopefully like i said with it being well you know whether some people don't love it but there's there's a kind of authenticity of that movie that i hope that other studios it's also mimic. it
0: is interesting too because i think i remember correctly like people could kind of like made fun of like carrie fukunaga for making that script <laughs> they were just yeah. like what are you doing like because he's yeah. obviously a director who's very like Lauded in his own. Well, practice. yeah, th-
1: that that that's frustrating as a horror fan too, because there's there's always that element of like earlier this year, uh, my favorite movie of the year in general was Mother. I don't know if you've seen it, Aronofsky movie.
0: I have not. Oh, it's so fucking amazing. it's, really? so, it's
1: incredible. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I would go see it like tomorrow if you can. It's amazing. But earlier in the year, it's it's obviously a horror movie. Like there's definitely it's definitely horror. But earlier in the year when they were like par- like the studio was talking about it, it was like. Oh, it's an elevated genre movie, and it's like, come on, dude! Like,
0: is that because like calling yourself horror is like somehow slumming?
1: Yeah, especially when you are Aronofsky and you got Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, and they might have thought this could be like an Oscar play or something. So they want they don't want people to immediately associate it with horror because you know, as a horror fan, the kind of burden we get, you know, it's this thing that like you can't every time somebody writes a take about is horror or dead, we get pissed off and we flip out because it's like it's not dead. Like you're just not you. You somebody who's cynical about the genre to begin with that you automatically look down upon it, and it's it's. And it's frustrating because you look at some of the best horror movies of all time, like Night of the Living Dead, like I mentioned, The Exorcist, The Shining. These are great movies. Like even they could they movies, could be whatever genre you want, they're movies, amazingly yeah. made movies yeah. and they happen to be horror. So there's no reason why people should look down on the genre. And I think, again, to go back to our festival, it's sort of every film we have in it, I, I hope challenges that like that, you know, that this it, there's there's something more going on to it that I think makes you sort of respect why it's there as opposed to just like it does, we if if a film feels like it's catering to like the lowest common denominator what the genre is we we're not going to show it right. like it's sort of watching submissions like if it if it's tapping into just like the base level gore or it's just there to kind of have crazy kills or there's no yeah. there's no there's no layers to it then I I kind of immediately write it off because I don't I kind of want our festival to push the genre forward I don't want it to like sort of to justify why Hollywood reporter guy always looks down on yeah 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 it's just having
0: a different conversation yeah yeah
1: exactly it could be really frustrating
0: so are you guys profitable yet are you in the black
1: I we're we're a non-profit right now yeah so it's not like we're not like do you have a salary uh not not so much no yeah like there's money that comes in but it's not like this isn't like a big money maker yet you know maybe down the line it can be
0: how do you underwrite your living
1: like, how do I, like, justify, like, making no, money? I no, mean, just how do you live? I, well, I, t- on top of this, I, I've, luckily, I've had sort of a fortune as I've been, uh, I work with Tribeca as their, on their programming team, so that that brings in some money. I've been doing a little bit of consulting for other festivals and sort of.
0: Interesting. Yeah,
1: some stuff you can't, like, I can't, like, say, like, what it yeah, is. And it's, like, yeah. behind the scenes. But, um, yeah, it's sort of scrambling. It's almost going back to the freelance mentality when you're a freelance writer yeah. and you kind of have to, like, find. The work you know what i mean so it's a lot of that su- i know yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah to sort of supplement that um so you know it's 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 i'm still kind of navigating it in that regard but uh you know it's, it's what i want to do and it, there's like there was like some like i don't know how like personal we can get here or whatever but yeah, like tell. uh li- one of the reasons why i kind of really got into this too is because on top of the tribeca thing happening last year uh beginning of last year my dad got diagnosed with als mm-hmm. Wow. And it was like an immediate like gut punch and the kind of just, it shocked my system and then a week after, two weeks after Tribeca, they cut my department. He, uh, I moved back home to sort of help out my mom and be there with him. He uh, went into the hospital and never came back home. He passed away in late October. So kind of like that just shell shock moment of like, holy fuck, like more mortality looking at me and mm-hmm. square in the face. And just sort of seeing how you can like do everything right in your life. You can do everything. Everything could be great. And then you get one diagnosis one day and it's you're done, you know. So there there was an element of like this is now or never for me. Like if this is something the the festival stuff is something I really wanted to try and do. So if I'm going to do it, I got to go for it now. So a lot of the like, how do I like underwrite? How do I like is me sort of figuring that out and making it work because I really want this. This is what I love doing. This is like a passion of mine. It's something I've always wanted to do. So I kind of had to like. So basically you're doing it because you decided you're going to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, if, and if I kept pushing it off and delaying it and just stuck with the writing and editing stuff for forever because it was a comfort thing, I would have eventually gotten sort of unhappy and discontent and jaded with that. I just saw I saw everything happen to my dad and everything with the writing jobs I'd had that like let me go and everything. And that industry kind of felt like it was cratering. It all felt like, you know what, if I'm going to take a chance now and run with something, let me do it. You know, I, I'm sort of, I have the luxury to do that kind of stuff now because like I don't have kids, you know, like yeah, I'm, I'm totally. not married. So I have just yeah. like kind of an autonomy to my life. I can no, try these y- things.
0: And and your shitty decisions, hell in a handbasket. You're like, yay, wee, it's me. It's just <laughs> yeah. me. No, it's same thing for me. Like everything I do is kind of a leap of faith and, um, yeah. it's, it's tough.
1: Yeah. You know, and yeah, there's, there's times going back to your question earlier where like, you know, like you wonder, like. That I, like, make the right choice? You know, like, I think that every now and then just in terms of, like...
0: I think there's no question that you made the right choice. Oh,
1: no, I did. But, like, in the sense of, like, could I be making, like, boatloads of money doing something else? Maybe. But, and I hope that I eventually can get to the point where that stuff happens. But mm-hmm. I just, I, I you know, I, I would only be happy kind of doing what I'm doing now and sort of figuring out this this programming festival world and seeing what it can lead to. It can lead to, like, you know, maybe I could be a producer one day or yeah. dis- distribution. Like, you never know what doors it can open. So I kind of want to see what I can do with this and sort of push the button with it and kind of in the back of my head, I always have the idea that like, you know, like one last thing my dad said to me was like, I just want you to be happy. So like for me to be happy, I got to try this, you know, so I'm sort of going full steam ahead into it and it's working, which is good. So knock on wood, it keeps working, but there's definitely like a risk element to it.
0: No, and also just as someone, you know, it's something I can say because at this point, like I've known you for like, I don't know, like 15 years or something, but there's like profound joy in the work that you do
1: yeah yeah I mean you know I I, from day one you know my parents they never really understood like what I was doing in the beginning I think like they're like you know uh, so you want to like write for magazines and you want to do this and that and like You know, your friend and my friends are like I said, they're like in finance and accounting and they're making like crazy money and you know, like working in magazines was never like you never did it because you wanted to be a billionaire. (laughs) Ever, yeah. It was all it's always been a passion project. You know, it's always been a thing of like I love at the time I loved hip hop and I love writing about hip hop, so I just figured like I won't be happier than I would be then writing about you know, going to album listenings and interviewing rappers and writing profiles, then it graduated to film. So yeah, I've always you know, I've always kind of pursued the things I love and and sort of hoped in the back of my mind that it would work out and that I would be able to kind of make it work. So this starting with this festival stuff is almost like it's like another kind of uh, like a like a like a like a reset or like kind yeah, of like it's almost like reconfiguration. Point, yeah. And uh, it's and so far it's been going well, you know, but it's still I'm still figuring it out. So it's still kind of new and I'm still kind of navigating it. And
0: it's still really exciting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. I think this year's festivals, our programming, I think, is really strong. I think it's going to get more um response
0: can you still get tickets
1: uh yeah there's a few screenings here and there have sold out uh it's sort of a case by case but there's definitely screenings that still have tickets so you could definitely the the festival's website broken go on um and sort of i think like our opening night film has sold out a couple of the um the but like, but like Mayhem and the bigger screenings they still have tickets left so you could definitely still get tickets yeah. okay
0: right on so if I held a serrated hunting knife to your throat and my friend Michael Pitt had a golf club to your head <laughs> and you had to pick like one movie or short that you're just like most stoked about people seeing from this horror fest which would it be?
1: <sighs> that's tough yeah This one just specific. one yeah, yeah, yeah you can't yeah. even book
0: one book so now I'm just like pick pick a baby to save <laughs> from the fire
1: yeah I uh, Again, I, I mean, I might go back to uh, that Book of Birdie one, our closing night film, just because mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I'm glad you asked about Dear Sister, because that really was a very sort of specific decision we made last year to make this our opening night film, make it like the big statement. And I, and I, you know, I wanted, we wanted as a team to make that statement again this year. And, you know, we needed a closing night film. And that film kind of, I found, I sort of found that film. It came along. I was like, holy shit, this is really How did weird. you find it? That one, I, honestly, it was sort of just online and kind of just looking just bopping around? Yeah, yeah, just bouncing around. And I, I I stumbled across it on... A lot of stuff we do, too. Like, you, you sort of learn, like, certain, like, festival sales agents and stuff you deal with that, like, rep a lot of movies. So you kind of know, like... They have websites that just list a bunch of movies. So I'm not sure this is out of that. I found this one specifically, but there's a lot of different resources online that you can go to and kind of just like, in, in just the one title that's like buried under five other titles, you just happen to just look on the IMDb and see what it's about and get a sense. So this one, I just kind of was just bouncing around online looking for something and it just kind of just like jumped out at me somehow. And I just took a chance on it and loved it when I watched it. And it hadn't only played, it only played at like a festival in Brazil. So it hasn't really played really anywhere yeah. since so like the North American premiere. Um, yeah, so I'd say of all our films, I mean, there's a lot I wish I could talk about, but that's the one I think.
0: <laughs> but I'm forbidding you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I think that just says I, that says a lot about what we what we are, what we're trying to be. You know, I think it makes a statement that uh, I think that film kind of separates us from from a lot of other festivals. It just kind of shows what our mentality is. You know.
0: Mm, so okay, so I'm gonna make you pick things again, which which you don't enjoy, but um, <laughs> there's three for these. So what are three horror movies that people may not have seen that they should?
1: Yeah, I I've, I'm gonna sort of tap into like three types of horror I love. Kind okay, of perfect. That. The first one is I think if you were to ask me like uh, with the the would you say the serrated knife to my throat? Yeah. Right now, uh, Michael Pitt was hovering over me. If that happened and you you know you asked me like what your, what's the best horror movie of the 2000s? I would have three. The first one, this is no order, but it'll be Kill List by Ben Wheatley. If you've ever seen that, it's incredible. It's like a Wicker Man kind of movie. That's not what I'm... There's that. There's Inside, the French movie I talked about earlier. Mm. And then there's Session 9. Have you ever heard of this movie? No. It's incre- It's amazing. It's from 2001. It's directed by this guy, Brad Anderson, who went on to make The Machinist with Kristen Bale. He made uh, Trans-Siberian, I think, with... Um Somebody Harrelson. Or I forget it was in it, but he he's made a he made that movie Sell a couple years ago with I no, the one with uh, Halle Berry where she's in the car. Oh, it was like a big yeah, hit. Yeah. He has a, he's had a really strange career trajectory, but uh, he's done he did a lot of fringe episodes. Like he's like kind of all over the place. But um Session 9 is amazing. It's this movie, like I said from 2001. It's about these um these like these guys going in to renovate, uh, their asbestos workers going in to renovate the Danvers State Hospital in Massachusetts, which was a real like abandoned like mental asylum in Massachusetts. They shot in the actual place, so it's like one of the, wow. those amazing movies where like the, the building is the character. It's like the whole vibe is like authentic as hell. So basically, they go in and they uh, one of them kind of becomes susceptible, uh, sort of like um, prone to one of the spirits in in the. In the asylum, one of the guys goes into the basement and starts randomly listening to old like case file tapes of of a specific patient, Mary Hobbs.
0: Yeah,
1: totally. And it it has some of the, I'm a big like sound design guy. I think it comes from like liking music and hip hop. Like I love like scores and like weird sort of like eerie sound design. This plays on like analog so fucking brilliantly where it's like these really scratchy analog recordings of this one specific uh, patient who's like has like split personality and it's, it's 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 one of the few movies that like I I've, I've seen a million times. I get creeped out. I get creeped out every, every time single. I see it. It's so like bleak and dark. And David Caruso is in it. Like he has like huh. a there's an amazing gif of him being like fuck you. It's like this <laughs> really bizarre point he does. It's like one of the worst acting moments ever. It become like kind of like a funny gif on like horror Twitter and stuff. But um, it has him in it. It has the kid from Welcome to the Dollhouse. I forget his name. Uh, he's The in it.
0: kid. Yeah, totally. It, yeah.
1: So it has like a really kind of weird, interesting cast of like character actors. But it's just really bleak really creepy it's scary as hell and it has some of the best sound design and it has one of the best like closing lines in a horror movie i've ever i've ever heard like of like a, like a voiceover dialogue it just like nails the entire movie in the last second it's called session nine that movie's great uh so there's that another one uh this movie from the 70s called let's scare jessica to death it's uh
0: Oh, I've seen it and wondered about it, but it's, I haven't.
1: It's one of the weirdest horror movies you'll ever see. Wait,
0: now is that four? Maybe, but continue. Uh,
1: uh, no, this was the session okay. nine, is and Let's get it... the other two were like leading up to session. Yeah. Nine. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, at yeah, yeah. the set. Fair up. enough. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, so this, so like the seventies, you think about like you know Chainsaw Massacre and Exorcist and Last House and all these like iconic movies like Let's Scare Jessica to Death I feel like is, deserves to be in that pantheon of like those mm. movies but it's just so fucking weird and like sh- off center that it's like hard to identify like it's kind basically this woman uh, gets released from a, uh, like a mental hospital and her husband brings her to this like old kind of farmhouse in like an upstate kind of cottage area to kind of like just like rehab her and help sort of let her kind of like De- decompress. Their friend comes with them randomly one day. This like really strange woman just sort of like wanders onto their property and kind of like infiltrates their life. You don't know if she's a vampire, if she's kind of like a ghost of like an old sort of person that died on the property. But it's just it's like one of those really weird '70s movies where they just they just kind of got away with doing whatever they wanted, and there was no but there was clearly nobody telling the director what to do. It just has these really weird dream sequences, and it's just it's it's interesting because the '70s is like one of the best decades of horror. But like there's so many really cool movies that everybody kind of like look, looks at the obvious Exorcist mm. and Chainsaw Massacres. Let's scare Jessica to death is just one that it's unlike any movie any other horror movie I can think of, and it's actually one that I think like really be done well now. Like I, you know everybody kind of poops on remakes the idea of remakes but I think this is one that like if like a really kind of interesting filmmaker like there's the guy David Robert Mitchell who did It Follows somebody like him or this mm-hmm. guy Peter Strickland who did uh, The Duke of Burgundy if you've ever seen that or Bur- Why
0: are you giving away your million dollar ideas? Because <laughs> you <laughs> know that shouldn't. this podcast is being listened to by I know, Paul, I know, yeah. <laughs> I know They're,
1: It's going to get made and announced in two weeks but no, somebody with like a very specific voice could really do something cool with that that could be like a really interesting remake but it's just a kind of an unsung movie from the 70s I think is really cool so that's Let's Scare Jessica to death and the third one uh, is this movie from 2008 called Lake Mungo, and it premiered at South by Southwest. It's it's super kind of under everybody's radar. It's it, you might think it's found footage, but it's not. It's like very much a fake documentary. It's uh, from Australia by this guy named Joel Anderson who hasn't done anything since. Like I guess the movie didn't do well in Australia, and he never got a chance to make anything else, which is like really a crime. This movie is brilliant, but it's basically a fake documentary about this um this like girl who disappears at, at a lake in Australia, and it's all about her family like trying to come to terms with the grief of never this like not being able to find her. But as they kind of do these interviews and they sort of tell you the story of who this girl is, they, it's like kind of like told in real time. Like they start seeing visions around the house. They feel like they see her, and it, and it's just, it's all, it's like it's super, it's sort of like the I said earlier. I want to tap into three different types of horror. This one is very much in the like, the vein of like emotional character driven, like really kind of like sad, like it really mm-hmm. fucks you up and affects you. Like when it's over, you just feel like man, you just feel, like really like heavy, you know?
0: Human condition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Like session
1: nine is like the pure like visceral cerebral like scary horror. Scare Jessica to death is like the weird shit, and then Lake Bungo is like the more like emotional kind of stuff. But it has a couple of images in it that are like seared into my head They're like some of the creepiest stuff I've seen in a long time There's like very one specific shot in Lake Mungo towards the end where it's just like holy shit It's scary as hell and It's just really the fake documentary that's like really pulled off really well And it's it's this really unique movie that didn't get a lot of burn when it came out And it's like one of those ones when like you talk to like I've interviewed certain filmmakers like the Guy Mike Flanagan who's like blowing up right now did like Oculus and Gerald's Game and stuff I interviewed him for Oculus and we were talking and he was just like He's just like, have you seen the movie Lake, Lake Mungo? It's amazing. Like, it's one of these movies that, like, yeah. people kind of know about, like, that really pay attention it. to yeah, the stuff. Yeah, totally. That I feel like, I think it might even be on Shutter now. Don't quote me on that. It might be if you, people check, but it's, like, one that deserves to have, like, a revival and sort of, like, a second life because it's brilliant.
0: What is one movie, dun, 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 uh, this is the what, tough part. <laughs> what is one movie that you haven't seen that you're the most excited about?
1: Uh, like, that's coming out down that's the line? That's coming
0: out down the line. <sighs> I feel like the inside of your brain right now is just like <laughs> every single dial is spinning.
1: Well, there's one that just played at Toronto that uh, I'm really excited about called The Ritual. It's um, Netflix just bought it, so it's gonna get like it's like the, one of the biggest. Purchases at Toronto for like a horror movie. just like really cool. It's directed by this guy David Bruckner who who worked on um, the VHS, the first anthology. If you have ever seen the VHS anthology, yeah,
0: that's how that's old, right? Uh, it
1: was from like 2011 or 12. It's like the foul footage anthology. He did
0: <laughs> that, and also the fact that that feels old. I'm like that's really ancient. <laughs> it does it's feel ancient. Like, yeah,
1: he did the first segment in that. If you remember, it's about these like these like frat bros who get like uh, a camera and their glasses, and they pick up girls and they bring them back to the hotel room, and one of the girls is like kind of like a wing demon. Uh, it's the, like the best segment in that film. But he's just a really strong filmmaker. He did another segment in a film called. Southbound. That's great. He's never done a feature on his own. This is an adaptation of a book by this author, Adam Neville, who's kind of like England's Stephen King. He's this really prolific author in England who hasn't really been discovered stateside yet. And I think this will like make people, this is like the first adaptation of his work. He's done a, a bunch of really good novels, great source, like short story anthologies. But it's basically, it stars that like um, Rafe, guy, Rafe Spall, that actor. If you see him, you know who he was. He's from, um, I'm trying to think of who you would know him as. He's, uh, did you ever see that movie with like, Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan, um, where they like, they're like friends and they can't, and they like love each other, but they don't hook up with each other. It's Mm-mm. like, a, he's like the boyfriend in that. He's a guy that like, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was in Prometheus, uh, not Prometheus. Yeah, Prometheus. He's like oh, Prometheus.
0: I've seen Prometheus. Yeah, and he's yeah. like in
1: all the Simon Pegg movies. He's like oh, he's like okay. one of the cops that always makes fun of Sean in Hot Fuzz, like the guy there's like Patty Considine and the other guy, he's the other guy.
0: Oh, got
1: uh, it? <laughs> he's like he's like he's like a known guy in England. He's like a definitely used to face. Like, I know this guy. But anyway, he's the lead in it, and then he and, he and a bunch of his friends go on a camping trip in the woods. There's a sort of like a uh, like a tragedy in, in their collective past that they're all kind of trying to figure out and get over but they sort of stumble upon these like ancient ruins that have sort of like kind of like an occult uh, wicker man sort of vibe to them and it leads to this like the book at least leads to like these really bizarre almost like Lovecraftian wood creature mm. things And but the movie just premiered at Toronto it was like a big hit there and Netflix bought it so it's coming out I was hoping it was going to be a fantastic fest and it wasn't I'm like really excited about it so I'd say it's probably going to come out in 2018 so I'd say that's one that I, I haven't seen yet that I'm like really excited about
0: So, okay, well, I I think we're done here. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's actually just really, I think it's like, you know, I have people on the show and everyone has like, you know, different jobs, like people grow pot, like, you know, (laughs) porn stars, like this and the other. But I mean, I feel, I really feel like you're having a fucking blast Yeah, and it's nice to see as your like friend and colleague
1: no, I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I,
0: I'm I'm so overjoyed to be celebrating this moment with you. In terms of like you know before your second horror fest.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, and I, I I'm like pretty cool that you wanted me to be on this. No, podcast, like I'm know? really really stoked. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for coming by.
1: No, thank you for having me. It's been great.
0: Yay. I'm in love with my life. Hey, cool job is recorded at Red Bull Arts, New York. Special thanks to Hassan Insane, Joseph Hazen, Max Wolf, and the song you hear is "I'm in Love with My Life" by Phases.